Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 47 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is part one of a three-part case before They Walk Among Us concludes Season 5. The next instalment will be available in three days. This episode contains distressing themes, explicit language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. The footage captured by a CCTV camera around 2.30am early that Saturday morning is grainy. It pictures a corridor on the third floor of a building. A male and a female are walking side by side. They enter one of the flats through the front door. Minutes later, the door flings open and the woman is seen running as fast as she can. In pursuit, the male manages to catch up with her, knocking the female to the ground. She appears unconscious. Her body is dragged towards the front door of the flat before the male retrieves a weapon. He casts a long shadow over the woman that lays crumpled on the floor. He pulls the trigger, not once but twice on a crossbow, 
The first shot misses, but the second bolt finds its target and goes straight through the victim's skull. The male appears victorious and throws his arms into the air. He drags the body out of view and into the flat. The killer, dressed in dark clothing with black fingerless gloves, reappears in the footage some 20 minutes later, armed with the weapon he has just used in the execution. He knows he is being filmed. He points a middle finger to the camera. That man would be arrested only days later. Why did you feel the need to, to kill her? I don't know. I don't know if I... So, just... I you killed someone to kill yourself. Oh, I've killed Patty. So, I don't know, I don't know. It's like deep issues inside me. Boxing Day 2009. Susan Rushworth had been missing for over six months. Her mobile phone had not been used since the 43-year-old vanished on June 22nd. Susan's family and the West Yorkshire Police were doing everything they could to find her. Detective Superintendent Dave Purvin, who was overseeing the search efforts gave a statement to a correspondent for BBC News. He admitted that they had been unable to track down Susan Rushworth. D.S. Pervin said, Sue had been a sex worker, was getting help for a drugs problem, and suffers from epilepsy. These are three factors that put her at risk. I have really grave concerns for Sue's well-being. In several tearful appeals, Susan's family wanted nothing more than to find her and bring to an end the misery they had been subjected to. Born and raised in Bradford, Susan Rushworth, known as Sue or Susie to those close to her, had last been seen walking between the areas of Manningham Lane and Lister Park. She was slim, about five feet six inches tall, with short brown greying hair. The mother of three lived in a bedsit on Oak Villas, a street around two miles north of the city centre. According to neighbours, she often visited elderly residents in a nearby care home. Staff at Oak Lodge Residential Home told reporters Susan did not have any relatives there. Perhaps she just wanted some company and to make a connection with someone. Recently, Susan was seeing more of her nine-year-old son, Aaron, and her two adult children, James and Kirsty. Aaron was, at the time, staying with his father. When she was young, Susan Rushworth, or Susan Thompson as she was then named, applied herself 
and studied hard at Thornton Grammar School. However, in her late teens, she suffered a brain hemorrhage. Doctors could not identify a cause, but Susan spent time in the hospital learning the basics of how to communicate again. The incident left her with epilepsy and a requirement to take medication on a daily basis. In spite of this setback, Susan's rehabilitation was quick, surprising the physicians that treated her. Although her education was severely impacted, she always put on a brave face, determined to make the best of her situation. Susan married young and gave birth to two children, James and Kirsty. She raised them in a happy home with husband David Rushworth on Thornton Road. Her children later remarked that Susan left them wanting little in life. They were surrounded by love. Sadly, as the children grew up, Susan and her husband grew apart. In her mid-thirties, she divorced, and the couple went their separate ways. She found a new partner, and her third child, Aaron, was born. However, after this relationship also broke down, her life took a considerable turn for the worse. It was challenging, being a single parent with a trusting nature, the people found a way to exploit. Susan's health problems and a diagnosis of epilepsy had no doubt made life difficult, and as a way to deal with her struggles, Susan turned to drugs. Her mother Christine tried to help, and paid several thousand pounds towards a stay at a clinic to stem the tide of addiction. However, despite a period of sobriety, this treatment only proved to be a temporary solution, as Susan's drug use increased like never before. As her addiction to heroin escalated, so did the amount of drugs she needed to take. To feed her disease, Susan turned to sex work. She would often tell her family she was getting the bus when she was, in fact, out working. Several months before she vanished, Susan had relapsed following an epileptic fit. She became depressed as she struggled to deal with her health problems. Her disappearance was initially linked to her drug use but her family confirmed that she had successfully been off heroin for around five weeks and was getting the support she needed. She was taking methadone, which she picked up from a local chemist. Furthermore, as she appeared to be getting the better of her situation, she was starting to play a role in her grandchildren's lives. In an interview with the Telegraph newspaper, Her daughter Kirsty described how her mother's appearance had been affected by her drug addiction. Although, before Susan vanished, she appeared far more healthy. As far as her family knew, Susan was no longer involved in sex work, 
Her daughter found it hard for her mother to be defined by what she had done in the past. Kirsty Rushworth said, It still doesn't seem real. Seeing it and hearing prostitute and naming her vice girl and stuff. Because she wasn't. She stopped doing that. The weekend before she went missing, Susan had seen her parents on Father's Day. Her father Barry was suffering from dementia, so Susan was in touch with her mother frequently as she checked on his health. In an interview, Christine Thompson told a reporter how she felt like the mother and daughter acted more like best friends or sisters. The interview was published in the Yorkshire Post. She was my world, Christine Thompson said. The last sighting of Susan Rushworth was on Monday, June 22nd. She had stayed in Thornton with her family the night before. Susan said she was popping to the city centre and was dressed in some new clothing that she had recently purchased. She said she wouldn't be more than a few hours. Shortly before midday, she boarded a bus on Thornton Road near Tyke Public House. Had she stayed on the bus, journeying on the same road for around 30 minutes, it would have taken her to Bradford City Centre. However, she instead travelled for around three miles and got off close to her flat on Oak Villas. She was seen by some friends. Then, she vanished. Susan was dressed in blue jeans, a green zip-up fleece-type jacket and some white footwear. A mobile phone was to make one last phone call. A bank account had not been used since. Susan's disappearance had made little sense, and the last sighting indicated nothing out of the ordinary. Perhaps it was postulated. She could have died from natural causes or complications due to her epilepsy, and tragically her body had not been found. However, reportedly, The last call she made was to someone who had previously been supplying her drugs. If her death was down to heroin, detectives pondered, she could have very well taken a lethal batch of the drug and died as a result. But when the authorities investigated that lead, it went nowhere. A detective superintendent and staff from the West Yorkshire Police Homicide and Major Inquiry team were assigned the case. They questioned a number of local men whom the authorities knew had used sex workers. Still, frustratingly, there was no sign of Susan Rushworth. I just want to appeal to anyone out there who knows or seen my mum to contact the police. We are very worried about her. We're a close family. We're not coping very well. Over the intervening months, along with the West Yorkshire Police, 
her family made appeal after appeal through both local and national media. It was clear they were struggling to deal with her disappearance. Susan had no reason to go missing. As she was reconnecting with her family, she was frequently speaking with her daughter, who said it was out of character for her mother to remain out of contact for so long. Even in the face of the time that had passed, Kirsty Rushworth was determined to track her mother down. The police aren't going to go anywhere, she remarked. They will keep looking until they find my mum or find out what happened to her. All who knew Susan feared the worst for a woman whom her daughter said had a heart of gold. And I met her in town with my younger brother on the Saturday before she went missing, so like two days before. And um, she took me for a coffee. And normally, you know, I take her for a woman, she on drugs and, and she was so happy and she looked. Her face, she was just completely different, her skin, her colour in her face were back. Despite the best efforts of everyone involved in the hunt to track down Susan Rushworth, no one could connect the dots. That was until Monday, May 24th, 2010. Earlier that month, on May 5th, another public appeal was made. This time from Detective Chief Inspector Mark Ridley who worked for the Homicide and Major Inquiry team for the West Yorkshire Police. A 31-year-old living on a council estate in Bradford had also gone missing over a week earlier. Shelley Armitage was seen in the company of a friend as they left her home on Bentcliffe Walk in Allerton. She had got something to eat, then travelled on foot to Sunbridge Road, before last being seen on Rebecca Street nearby in the early morning of Tuesday, April 27th. Shelley was described as 5 feet 8 inches tall, with long brown hair and a slim build. She was carrying a bag and dressed in tight-fitting dark-coloured jeans, an oversized grey cardigan and a pair of white sandals. Shelley had moved to Bradford from Huddersfield, and like Susan Rushworth, she too was battling addiction. When she was younger, Shelley Armitage was raised in a Catholic household, attending an all-girls school studying at St Joseph's College. She had a carefree upbringing, was then viewed as compassionate and pleasant to be around. She loved talking about music. Shelley had plans to see the world and wanted to be a model. But after experimenting with drugs during her teenage years, this was an addiction that she could never shake off. Both drugs and alcohol eventually took hold, 
affecting every facet of her life. As she grew older, in spite of her challenges, Shelley still preserved a fragment of the spirited personality she once had in abundance. She frequently spent time at the Catholic soup kitchen in Bradford, where she fed herself when she had no money. Around five months before her disappearance, she was offered an opportunity, somewhere to get clean at a rehabilitation centre in Swansea on the south coast of Wales. Although she did not want to be away from her partner Craig for that long, Shelley decided not to go. Craig had contacted her family when Shelley did not return home, and she was then reported missing. DCI Ridley, who was involved in the investigation to track down Shelley, spoke with the media just over a week after she had last been seen. His comments were published in several local newspapers. As time passes, both the police and her family are growing increasingly concerned for her welfare, he said. We've been speaking to her friends, associates and family, and are also searching areas which we know she visited often. Shelley is a much-loved daughter and sister, and it is important we find her as soon as possible. DCI Ridley confirmed that Shelley was supporting herself financially through sex work and had previously lived in Huddersfield's red light area. Police had been speaking to sex workers to understand if they knew more. Appeal posters were also put up around areas of Bradford, most notably in the spots where Shelley was last seen. A market worker, Jan Harrison, whose stall was near Bradford's red light district, often saw Shelley and told a reporter for Yorkshire Live that she was just a normal girl. She used to drop in occasionally on a local evangelical mission for an evening where they offered free meals. Shelley was a lovely girl. You sensed that she had a, a nice family somewhere that she'd been nicely brought up. She was always friendly. Sometimes she was happy and bubbly, but she could also be fairly subdued as well. As the investigation wore on and family and friends grew increasingly anxious, there were few clues as to Shelley's whereabouts. She had now been missing for two weeks. Neither her mobile phone had been used, nor had she claimed her benefits payments. She had also not collected her methadone. Police knew that on the evening of Monday, April 26th, Shelley left her flat in Bradford accompanied by a friend. She was then spotted later that night. Evidence came in the form of CCTV footage taken around ten past ten on Sunbridge Road. Both stills and video were released to the public in the hope someone might come forward with information. In the footage, Shelley is pictured on her own. She walks for some distance, absently adjusting her belt and stretching 
before turning back and retracing her steps. Detective Superintendent Sukhbir Singh explained to the press that Shelley had briefly gone missing before. However, the detective was quick to point out that her disappearance was now somewhat more unusual. Shelley had recently found solace in taking care of a puppy that rarely left her sight. The West Yorkshire Police received several calls from the public who reported possible sightings, but there was nothing concrete beyond the footage taken from the CCTV camera. One theory suggested that somehow her drug use could have led to her death, or it was supposed that perhaps Shelley had absconded. She was due to appear at Bradford Crown Court following an incident in which she assaulted a police officer over a year earlier in April 2009. Her partner Craig Preston had also been involved. The pair were travelling in Preston's car, which was being driven erratically. When later breathalyzed, Preston was recorded as being three times over the legal limit. A police officer who spoke with both occupants of the car ended up being attacked, leaving him with injuries to his face. Craig Preston later appeared at Bradford Crown Court charged with assault and driving over the limit with no insurance. He admitted to the crimes. The judge felt a more lenient sentence was in order given the circumstances, as his partner Shelley Armitage was still missing. Preston received a supervision and community order. According to the Guardian newspaper, Craig Preston would later admit that the money his partner made from sex work paid for heroin which the couple both used. While it was possible Shelley did not want to face justice, this didn't explain why she had not used her mobile phone for what was now almost a month. Police could find no evidence that she had been injured or threats had been made to her life. In an interview, provided where Shelley was last seen in Bradford's red light area, Detective Superintendent Sukhbir Singh said that a missing from home inquiry involving 50 officers was underway. Shelley's family and friends just wanted to know she was safe. Although there was no concrete evidence that proved Shelley Armitage had met with foul play, she was considered vulnerable. Her life was labelled chaotic. When the West Yorkshire police realised they might have two potential killings on their hands, the two teams who had been working separately on the Susan Rushworth and Shelley Armitage investigations began to pull their resources, sharing intelligence with the wider police force through homes. The Home Office Large Major Inquiry System is a searchable computer database capable of linking words, names, dates, locations, descriptions and victims. 
the authorities were then trying to identify what lessons could be learned. Holmes was conceived so police could more effectively prioritise evidence. The tool was implemented after the conviction of Peter Sutcliffe, otherwise known as the Yorkshire Ripper. Sutcliffe lived in Bradford at the time of his arrest and stalked the same streets close to where Susan Rushworth and Shelley Armitage were often seen. The one-month anniversary of Shelley Armitage's disappearance was fast approaching, so police released an image of the clothing she was wearing on the night she was last spotted. They hoped this might jog someone's memory. Sadly, no members of the public came forward. With no clue as to her whereabouts and little to go on, the possibility of Shelley's safe return seemed more and more unlikely, especially given the amount of time that had passed. Coincidentally, another sex worker, 36-year-old Suzanne Blaymeyers had not been seen in several days. She was last spotted on Friday, May 21st. Like both Susan Rushworth and Shelley Armitage, Suzanne Blaymeyers was also struggling with addiction issues. She was familiar with Shelley Armitage, who lived just a few streets away on Barkston Walk in Allerton. Suzanne shared a housing association flat with her boyfriend. As the families for each of the missing women had taken to the streets in search of their loved ones, there appeared to be a sense of foreboding. Shelley Armitage had spoken with Susan Rushworth's family about Susan's disappearance, and then Suzanne Playmyers talked to the relatives of Shelley Armitage, and she too went missing. Publicly available accounts indicate Suzanne Blaymeyers had a relatively trouble-free youth. Church on a Sunday, great A-level results, and a desire to be a nurse. Suzanne enjoyed horse riding. She was outgoing, intelligent, somewhat cheeky, and highly thought of due to the way she treated others. She too was loved dearly by her family, and raised in a protective environment. Suzanne enjoyed the clubbing scene, with her weekends spent at raves, but her casual drug use started to spiral. Weekend parties quickly turned to week-long binges. In 1994, when Suzanne turned 20, she was married. A photograph of that day was widely circulated in the media. Suzanne is pictured smiling, dressed in white with a pixie haircut and a floral garland on top of her head. She looks content. However, the relationship dissolved after only four years. Suzanne moved back home with her parents, and her drug use progressively got worse.
fast forward some years later to the early 2000s. Suzanne was living with a new boyfriend in the suburb of Allerton. Her life was so very different from the one she had planned all those years ago when she was a teenager. Her father had died, and Suzanne's drug use seemed to be increasing at an alarming pace. She had turned to sex work to fund her addiction, which was only encouraged by her partner so he could use the money to buy more drugs. Suzanne went by the name Amber when she was working. She was arrested and fined in 2001 after soliciting a plainclothes police officer. Her home life was not easy. According to news reports, she was verbally and physically abused. Her partner was even arrested and sent to prison for the attacks, although he seemed to have a hold over Suzanne and would not let her go. Over the years, she was often seen with black eyes or bruises. The only friend she had made was through work, one of whom was Shelley Armitage. On the evening of Friday, May 21st, 2010, Suzanne Blaymeyers walked out through her front door, as she had done countless times before. She was working late that night and into the early hours of the next day. It was the last time her family or friends would see her alive. When Suzanne Blamires was reported missing, West Yorkshire's homicide and major inquiry team responded almost immediately with sniffer dog teams and underwater search units. It had become a major citywide investigation because this was now the third woman in a year involved in sex work in the city who just vanished. The weekend would come and go, and then on Monday, May 24th, there would be a break in the case. A horrific incident, captured by a security camera, would help officers untangle the numerous strands of this heinous and tragic series of events, so they could build a case against the man responsible. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Center. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. On Tuesday, May 25th, Detective Superintendent Sukhbir Singh, who was leading the inquiry into Suzanne Blameyer's disappearance, confirmed that an arrest had been made. A 40-year-old male had been taken into custody the previous day, suspected of being involved in Suzanne's murder. News of the arrest came at the same time that human remains were found. Discovered around the waters of the River Air in Shipley, close to an industrial estate a short distance from Otley Road Jewel Carriageway, a member of the public had spotted a rucksack while they had been out on a walk. When they lifted up the rucksack, a severely mutilated head was found inside. A broken knife and a crossbow bolt protruded from the skin. The remains appeared to be female although that was an educated guess. The police were notified immediately. The area and its surroundings were sealed off. A major police investigation was in progress as divers from the underwater search unit scoured a drainage tunnel off Thornton Road a few miles away. The search team also trawled the riverbed, dredging through mud, weeds and rubbish close to Dockfield Road. Any items or matter retrieved among the debris were placed in blue evidence bags and then taken to a white forensic tent near the riverbank. Further human remains were found. The search was also undertaken in a stream and a series of drains around Bradford Beck River. 
Sniffer dogs were deployed and fingertip searches were in progress around Lister Park. Officers were pictured picking up random objects from the street and inspecting the underside of cars. A noticeable police presence appeared throughout Bradford's red light area. Scene of crime officers searched around Bradford College and the city end of Thornton Road, one of the significant travel routes that cuts through Bradford. Susan Rushworth had been seen travelling on this same stretch of road by bus, although this was some 15 miles west. Containing a mix of commercial and residential buildings, the part of Thornton Road close to the city centre had seen better days. Properties boarded up, barbed wire trailed along the rooftops, and several factories had long since closed down or were abandoned. According to an employee of Shipley College located around one mile west, The authorities had been paying a great deal of attention to skips and derelict buildings, although at the time no one knew what the uniformed officers were looking for. A member of the public who did not wish to give his name when he spoke with a reporter from the Guardian newspaper felt the investigation eerily evoked memories of the reign of terror inflicted by Peter Sutcliffe. The Yorkshire Ripper was a spectre who loomed large over the city, and now there appeared to be another killer, perhaps even modelling himself on the man who came before. Bradford was remembered for all the wrong reasons, and it was again under the spotlight. Not only were those memories stirred for anyone who experienced the fear of those long, dark nights, but with struggling employment rates, drug use, and sex workers reportedly being moved out of sight by the authorities to isolated areas. Questions were being asked. What had really changed? Could there be a killer stalking the streets of Bradford who was targeting women on the fringes of society? With rumours abound, now that human remains had been discovered and several sex workers were missing, The BBC interviewed a number of Bradford locals about the fear that was building in their community. Taxi driver Ifran Hussein offered his thoughts. At the end of the day, nobody deserves to go like that. They are probably doing their job out of desperation. But the person that's killed them didn't have any remorse for them. If this happened 20 or 30 years ago, You wouldn't believe what's happened. The Ripper was 30 years ago and I was only a kid, so it didn't affect me. But this is different. Retiree Eddie Walters also remarked, It's wrong when people are in fear for their lives like that. I won't go into towns on a night. When I were a lad, it was always somewhere else where it happened. Now it's on your doorstep. Some residents were less sympathetic and bluntly spoke their mind. Published by both Yorkshire Live and The Metro, one local who wished to remain anonymous said, It's terrible what seems to have happened, 
There are girls on these streets every night. Loads of them. They're so close together they don't even need mobiles. They just yell at each other. It's drugs and prostitutes everywhere around here. Reporters from the Guardian newspaper wanted to learn more about the area and the locations where sex work was being conducted. According to a publican that did not want to be named, over the last 20 years the police had gradually driven sex workers towards more isolated industrial areas where fewer members of the public would voice their objections. Frustrated, the unidentified pub manager had known Suzanne Blamires and contended that the police had to shoulder some of the responsibility for what had happened. These women don't deserve to die, she said. They're all somebody's daughter, yet they're described as prostitutes in the media, and it makes it so sleazy. As the tabloids were reeling following the discovery of a human head, at Halifax Police Station the suspect was being questioned. Extra time had been afforded to detectives working the case. Officers trawled through countless hours of CCTV footage to pin down the movements of the man they believed was responsible, not only for the murder of Suzanne Blamires but Susan Rushworth and Shelley Armitage who had disappeared over the course of the last 11 months. The suspect was identified as Stephen Griffiths, a postgraduate psychology student. The 40-year-old was studying at the University of Bradford for a PhD in Applied Criminal Justice specialising in homicide. His flat was located only a short distance from Bradford City Centre, close to the red light area and around four miles north as the crow flies, from the location where human remains were found in the river. At a press conference, Javid Akhtar, Assistant Chief Constable of Bradford Police, acknowledged the complexity of the investigation. You will appreciate... I cannot go into detail about the inquiry other than to say it is a very thorough and painstaking inquiry into three missing women, all of them sex workers. It was thought the remains found belonged to Suzanne Blamires. However, a formal identification had not been completed. While it was only a theory, the media were also linking the suspect to the unsolved murder of Rebecca Hall, who died in 2001. The naked body of the 19-year-old sex worker had been found in an unlit alleyway behind a car park on Thornton Road. Rebecca had been missing almost two weeks before her body was discovered. She was subjected to a barbaric assault, close to the area where the three missing women were frequently seen. 
like Susan Rushworth, Shelley Armitage and Suzanne Blaymeyers, Rebecca Hall had been battling with addiction. Her mother, who had been looking after Rebecca's child since the murder, spoke with a reporter for the Telegraph newspaper. Rebecca Hall's child was only four months old when she was killed. They were now ten. Rebecca's mother, Angela Hall, said, I told Becky not to go out so much. I didn't know she was a working girl at the time. She was always out at night, but it was the drugs that changed her. Reflecting on the treatment of sex workers over the intervening decade since the killings committed by Peter Sutcliffe, Angela Hall told reporter Tracy McVeigh, In Bradford, we've never learnt. Not from the Ripper, not from any of these terrible cases. Girls left to work these streets are just prey for any psychopath who wants to pick them off. Everyone talks about moving the girls on. It's the men they should be worrying about. Following a detailed examination, after remains were discovered in the River Air, it was established that they belonged to Suzanne Blaymeyers. She was the third woman to go missing in connection with the investigation. A spokesperson from the West Yorkshire Constabulary addressed the media and confirmed the positive identification. Suzanne's remains were found five miles from her home. The police spokesperson said, Inquiries into the incident remain ongoing and a 40-year-old man remains under arrest in custody. He is being questioned on suspicion of the murder of Suzanne Blaymeyers, Shelley Armitage and Susan Rushworth. Suzanne Blaymeyers' mother offered a statement through the police. Unfortunately, my daughter went down the wrong path and she did not have the life she was meant to have, Nikki Blamires said. Even though she ended up on the wrong path, she tried to protect her family and kept herself to herself so people knew very little about her. She always knew she could come home and the door was always open. She was a much-loved daughter, sister and niece, and what has happened to her will haunt me until the day I die. Suzanne's mother went on to say, At the end of the day, nobody deserves this. All these girls were human beings and people's daughters. An inquest would later be carried out to confirm how Suzanne Blaymeyers died. At Bradford Coroner's Court during the end of July, Coroner Roger Whitaker reviewed the findings from a Home Office pathologist. The coroner said, I have a report in respect of Suzanne Blaymeyers, 
which satisfies me as to the cause of her death. The cause is effectively severe injuries caused by a crossbow. This is the end of episode 47. To hear more about the case of the Bradford murders and the crossbow cannibal, please tune in in three days' time. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Katie Kirby, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com